0: Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Gary Chevalier. All right, everyone. Well, hey, welcome. As Pastor Will said, we are in the middle of our series called Seriously. Uh, We're talking about oxymorons found in Scripture, and we had a great time talking about some of them last week. And so this week, for fun, On social media, we thought we would say, hey, share with us some of your favorite oxymorons. So I thought I'd go ahead and and show you guys a couple that we found online that we thought were fun. So the first one came from Georgia Holton, uh, and she said jumbo shrimp, which I happen to be quite a fan of. Um, The next one came from Christy Blaschke, and she said, definitely, maybe. Maybe. Use that one myself a time or two, but probably my favorite one comes from Vince Elder. He said, fun run. <laughs> There's an oxymoron for you. <laughs> and look, it's fun to look at these and laugh and chuckle, at you know, how kind of these oxymorons and these backwards kind of sayings, how they really do apply to real life. But when you start to see those oxymorons in Scripture, when God's telling you how to live and it looks all confusing and, and odd, it, it ceases to be quite as, quite as fun and humorous and kind of becomes a little more frustrating, right? You know, and look, it, it's, it's okay to feel that way. Sometimes the Bible really is confusing and, and what God tells us to do through Scripture sometimes at first glance doesn't make sense and sometimes it's even a little scary, a couple months ago, a couple months ago, last month, I was able to go to uh, the Dominican Republic and spend some time with a missions organization there called Macarios. Uh, it's an organization that really their goal is to end poverty through Christian education and family outreach. It is an amazing organization. I'm, I'm looking forward to partnering with them in the days to come. And you'll hear some more about that and, and how you can get involved with Macarios Uh, later on in the year. But I went on this trip last month to kind of learn more about it. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to get up before the rooster crows in the dark and go hiking with some of the Macario staffers. So when they said, hey, you want to go on a hike tomorrow morning? I was like, yeah. And then they told me what time I had to get up to go on said hike. And then I was like, definitely, maybe. (laughs) No, I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. So what they did not tell me, however, is wintertime in the tropical zone means rainy season. So it had been raining a bunch. So we get on this trail, and we're starting to walk through it, and it is mud, ladies and gentlemen. We're stepping in stuff like ankle-deep mud. One guy stepped in and brought his foot out, and there was no shoe attached. Like he had to dig back into the mud. So that's what we're walking through and it's, we're slogging along and slipping and sliding and we're coming up to edges like this where you're looking way down up this mountain that we were going up. I mean like if you took a wrong step it would take an Indiana Jones movie to find your body. That's what we were looking at as we're climbing up and we get about halfway and the guy who was leading us says okay, now the trail goes through that waterfall and I'm like Through a waterfall, I was like, are we just going to kind of walk through and here's the magic cave with all the treasures and stuff? But no, no, no. He was like, you got to climb the waterfall to get to the top. That's where the trail goes. Now picture this with me for a moment, okay? I am in a country far off and away with not quite as good as America healthcare, okay? This dude who I just met that morning is telling me to go all bare grills and climb up this waterfall, right? I've been slipping and sliding all day. Could have fallen to my death at any time. And I looked him square in the face and I said, Seriously? And he was like, Yes, climb up. And I'm here to tell you, there was some hesitation going on with that. But then he said, Look, I know it may sound crazy, but actually in the waterfall is the best footing you're going to find. Because the rushing water means that no mud is going to sit there and no algae can grow there. And sure enough, I was standing on slippery rocks. And as soon as I stepped into that water, it was like stepping onto this this stage. Look at this picture right here. This is me climbing up a waterfall. I, I mean, it... It was like literally walking off of ice onto ground. I could have done river dance right there. And maybe that's where river dance came from. I don't know. But that footing was the best footing I had all day. And I walked right up to the top of that, looked down, and this moment popped into my head. This moment right here. Because what he told me to do was completely crazy sounding. It made no sense at all to find better footing by walking into rushing water but that's exactly what needed to happen and so as we explore the oxymoron today it's gonna feel a lot like that it's gonna feel like it sounds a little crazy and like it'll never work and honestly like it may even lead to your death but I promise you if you put this oxymoron into play into your life you will find solid foundation And firm footing on which to pattern your steps as you live your life. So let's dig into it. It's found in the book of 2 Corinthians. uh, Chapter 12, verse number 10. And it says this. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And there is your oxymoron, if I ever heard one. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. And that doesn't make any sense at all. How in the world can you be weak and strong at the same time? Because those are polar opposites. And isn't strong what we want to be? I mean, haven't we been raised, most of us, at least, that, you know, we're to stand on our own two feet. Take care of business. We rely on our strengths. We rely on our our savvy or on our smarts or on our instincts or on our money. We do what we do so that we can make it on our own. We're told, suck it up, buttercup, put on your big girl pants and deal with it. We want to do things in our own strength so that we have self reliance and resilience. And listen, those are good traits. Those are good things to have. Honestly, we want to be men and women of God who work in our strengths, who know who God has called us to be and what he's called us to do and work through problems and go. Yes, all of those are good. But we have to understand that there is a limit to our own strength. And there are some things that we are not meant to do on our own. So let's dissect this oxymoron together then and let's talk about when I am weak, then I am strong. So and we're going to answer the question is how can my weakness make me strong? Number one is this, it's your first fill in of the day, is my weaknesses keep me humble. My weaknesses keep me humble. All right, so to get a clearer picture of what this verse is saying, we're going to back up a few verses to verse 7. Now listen, when you are reading scripture and you're trying to understand what it's saying, it is always a necessity to read the scripture around the scripture that you're reading. You don't just want to pick one verse and read it and try to decide what's being said there. You read around it. Read the verses before it. Read the verses after it. Better yet, read the whole chapter. Read the history and the context of the book. In lots of Bibles, there's little bitty little bitty cross-references. There are my little bitty letters that you need like a magnifying glass to read, but it'll refer you to other places in the Bible where it talks about that topic. So that way you're reading with the understanding of what the author is actually trying to say, not just one little verse. And when you do that, you're going to find that you... <laughs> really don't misuse or misinterpret scripture because you're getting a more accurate understanding of what's being said. So that's what we're going to do right now. Chapter 12, verse 7 says this, to keep me from becoming conceited. All right, well, let's stop right there. Grab your pen, okay, and let's circle to keep me from becoming conceited. We'll come back to that in a moment. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why. For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That context makes it make so much more sense. Because what was happening is Paul wrote this letter to the church in the city of Corinth. And after Paul had been there and had established the church, he left to go do other work. And then other false teachers started to show up. And they started to talk about their spirituality and how great they were, and it started to lead people astray towards man-made religions and not towards Jesus Christ, whom Paul taught about. And so when Paul got word of that, he was like, no, 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 no. So he wrote that letter to put them back on track. Now, at first thought, writing a letter may not sound like much of anything. You're like, so Paul wrote a letter on paper? Well, back in the day, they didn't have all the technology and all the communication options that we do. And so honestly, had Paul had access to Facebook Live, I am fully confident that he would have got all the members of the Church of Corinth together, did a Facebook Live, and taught them all at that point. But he didn't have that. A letter was the equivalent of that back then. So Paul wrote this letter to kind of rein them back in and squash the crazy that was going on. And so he encourages them for several chapters. And then in chapter 10 and chapter 11, he starts to say, hey, look, I know all these guys have talked about all the great things they've done in the name of the Lord. Let me tell you why you should listen to me. And he starts to tell them all the things that God has done through him. And that's a long list. I mean, this is Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament, right? So he writes all these things, and then he gets to chapter 12, verse 7, and he says, To keep me from becoming conceited, because of all these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. To keep me from becoming conceited, God gave him a thorn in his flesh, So that he didn't think more of himself from all of the great things that he had done. Now, we don't know exactly what that thorn in the flesh that Paul is talking about is. A lot of scholars really think that he had bad eyesight. Because remember, back in Bible times, they didn't have LASIK surgery or glasses. If you were blind, you were a beggar. So a lot of scholars think that that thorn in his flesh was bad eyesight. Some think he had some chronic illnesses That would flare up from time to time and would keep him from doing the things that he wanted to do, like traveling and starting churches and stuff. Honestly, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh actually was. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what it was. What matters is that it was there to keep Paul humble. And so that he would not become conceited and he would be able to do what he did through the Lord. So Paul recognized that that thorn in his flesh would keep him from having pride in what had been accomplished. Because Paul knows that pride is the meanest, wickedest, nastiest tool that the evil one has to use against us. Because when we become prideful, we start to think more of ourselves than we are. We start to kind of believe the, our own press. Well, then we cease serving Jesus and we start serving ourselves instead. And listen, pride can happen so easily. It generally starts with someone being nice and encouraging, and they come up to you and they say, man, when you did this, it was so great. And you're like, cool. And then someone else comes up and they're like, oh, look, you know what I love about you? I love when you do this. And you're like, I am pretty wonderful, aren't I? And people keep coming, and the more they say positive, encouraging things, which is a good thing to do, by the way. Encouraging people is always wonderful. But when you start to believe that and start to internalize that and think that it really is about you and that all of these accomplishments really are you, that's when things go a bad direction. That's when pride creeps in, and that's why Paul said that the Lord gave him that thorn in the flesh to keep that from happening. Because it's so easy when people say good, encouraging things about you. Look at our world around us. I mean, celebrities, movie stars, athletes, people that have stature like that. It is rare to find one that really has a good, accurate self-view of who they are. And listen, that's not just in, in them. Christians, same thing. Pastors, definitely. How many pastors have you heard of that have bought into the lie and have all of a sudden found their world crashing down around them because of pride? Listen, given all that Paul did, it would have been very easy for that to happen, which is why he recognized God gave him that thorn in the flesh. And that leads us to the second benefit, which is this. Number two is my weaknesses help me rely on God. My weaknesses help me rely on God. Now, presumably, Paul asked for this weakness to be taken away three times because he wanted to be able to serve the Lord better. I think that's a reasonable assumption for Paul. He probably didn't want it taken away so He could do something selfish. His life was about serving other people. And so it makes sense that Paul said, hey, if you take this weakness away from me, I can go to more cities. I can start more churches. I can reach more people for Jesus. And that's a very honorable request, I think. Have you ever made a request of the Lord like that? And God said no? Maybe... Maybe there's a physical attribute about yourself that you, that you wanted to be changed. Or maybe you have a hard time meeting people and talking to people and you're like, God, if you would just make me more personable, I could meet more people and tell them about Jesus. That sounds honorable. Or maybe, maybe you've asked to be rescued from an abusive situation and God hasn't rescued you. Maybe there's a health challenge. There's something with your body like that that prevents you. You've asked for it to be removed, and God says no. That's my story. Uh, One of of my many weaknesses. Uh, I have a condition called hyperhidrosis, which basically just means that my hands and my feet sweat all the time, continually. Like, it's not because I'm hot, it's not because I'm nervous. They just sweat. It could be freezing outside, and my hands and my feet are going to have a layer of sweat on them. And you can imagine, as a young man growing up, that was not really awesome. Because there is no slick way to slide your hand over and interlace fingers with a cute girl without that being really gross. (laughs) I ask God many times, take this away. I remember one time I was walking up to a friend of mine. Uh, she was sitting at the desk, and I just wanted to ask her a question. So I walked up to reach over to put my hand on her arm, and as soon as I touched her, she was like, oh, you slimed me. Because that was back when Ghostbusters was really popular, right? You know, and like, oh, you slimed me. And it was funny. It really was. Look, this was a friend of mine. She was not trying to be mean. It was a good joke. But that really undermined my self-confidence as a guy, I'm like, I can't even touch people. I'm a touchy kind of person, and I can't touch people. And now, I'm a man in a people-oriented profession. And what do men do when they meet each other? How's it going? We shake hands. The uh, the nastiest part of my body like that, because it's covered with sweat, I'm reaching out and shaking hands with people and I ask God, God, take this away from me. I've prayed for a miracle, I've explored medical options, I've done all of it, and that's this is something that God said, No. But let me tell you what what a blessing it has come into. Every time, every time I go to shake someone's hand, and I have to do the little discreet, I'm gonna wipe my hand on my jeans and say, How's it going? See, now that I've told you this, you're going to start noticing that. (laughs) And I realized that, you know, after I said it in the 9 o'clock service and people are coming up to me and they're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Or they're giving me a fist bump, you know, which, hey, I'm good with a fist bump. No sweat here. It's only on this side. But I've noticed. Subconsciously, I just grab right there every time I go to shake hands. But when I shake hands, I know That it is God's power that I'm relying on. Because when it's up to me alone, I'm sliming everybody that I touch with cold, clammy, wet hands. But every time, I know it's God's power in me. It's his strength. And that's why Paul says in verse number 9, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Take your pen and circle. My grace is sufficient for you. God's grace was sufficient for Paul in that thorn in the flesh that Paul has. It's sufficient for me with my sweaty hands. God's grace is sufficient for you. So I want to ask you let's pause for a moment. Think about what your thorn in the flesh might be. What is something about you that you wish God would take away, that you wish God would change, that you wish God would make better? What is something that you can identify? And then I want to challenge you. When you look at that as a weakness, let's flip it around, and let's not view it as a weakness, but let's view it as a way that God reminds you that you continually need to trust in him and rely on him day by day so that his power will be made perfect in your weakness. Change how you view that. And that leads us to point number three, which is this. My weaknesses demonstrate God's power. My weaknesses demonstrate God's power. Finishing up verse 9 there in 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Take your pen and underline, Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul is not delighting in the fact that he is weak. He's not delighting in the weakness. Paul is delighting in the fact that in his weakness, God is shown to be strong. God is shown to be powerful. God's power shows through whatever that thorn in the flesh that Paul had. And listen, when you can see The power of the Lord working through you, working despite your weaknesses, where there's no way it's credited to you, that is a beautiful, delicious thing. It is a wonderful moment when you can take a step back and see God working through you and conquering and accomplishing through your weaknesses because it makes his power so evident. Have you ever been in a spot where you were just completely over your head and you knew without God, You were sunk. You had to rely on him every step of the way. Maybe you've never shared your faith before and you're sitting at soccer practice and somebody sits down next to you and says, hey, you're a Christian, right? I have a question. And all of a sudden, you've got to talk about your faith. Maybe you have been on a mission trip, maybe to a foreign country where they don't speak your language and you're now somewhere out of your comfort zone with a language you don't speak and you've got to trust God every step of the way. Maybe in parenting, you feel over your head. I think we all feel over our head in parenting and we have to rely on God every step of the way. Maybe you found yourself in a job or got a promotion that you just feel is above you, like it's more than you can do, like you don't know what you're doing, and you just every day are saying, God, please help me, show me, work through me. That's where I find myself a lot. It's something that you guys may not know about me, but I am not a people person. I'm an introvert. So like the guy that... You know, as everybody's best friend, he can talk to a stump and he knows the name and face and kids of everybody he's like ever met. I'm the exact opposite of that. I had a friend about uh, 15 years ago or so. Uh, we were talking about our jobs one day. And, you know, I was a pastor at the time, which is a very people profession. And he was a computer programmer. And he was like, man, I couldn't do your job. You know what my job is like? I drive in. I walk up to my desk, I put my earbuds in, crank out some code, take my earbuds out, and drive home. And I was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> How do I apply for that job? I want that job. But you know, that's not what God has chosen for me. That I've always been in very people-oriented professions where I don't work without people, I have to work with people, and it's what he's always done. Do you know, 15 years down the road, I can honestly say I have really learned to enjoy working with people. Now, don't get me wrong, working with a lot of people still drains me. It still takes a lot of energy to do, but I've learned that I enjoy it. I've learned to enjoy people for who they are and how God has created them and how we're all the same but different, and the paths that people have walked down and how God has worked in their lives and how it's the same as mine and and all of that, just the way to see God has constructed the world has been amazing, and to see some of the things that God has used me to do because I worked with people, what a joy, and it's 100% his power, because if it's up to me, it's not happening, I would generally prefer to do my own thing. But I know that's not who I am anymore. It's not, it's not who God has called me to be. And it's not how I'm going to operate. Because in my weaknesses, he is strong. If you find yourself in a position where you are over your head and you are operating in your weaknesses, I want to encourage you today. Take those weaknesses and celebrate the fact that when you follow God and you allow God to work through you, He is made strong. His power is shown, and it will point to Christ more than anything you could have ever done on your own. As we conclude today, I would be remiss if I did not tell you that God's power being made perfect in your weakness only happens. If you have chosen to follow Christ, if you have received forgiveness of your sin and committed your life to follow him, you are connected. And God's power is available to you anytime you yield to him. If you've never made that decision, however, it does not yet apply to you. So I want to encourage you, make today the day you choose to seek forgiveness for your sin and choose to commit to follow Jesus for the rest of your life that's when you'll be plugged into that power that becomes perfect and becomes evident and available in your weaknesses. So on the back of your message notes, down at the bottom, is a sample prayer that you can pray that will lead you to become a Christ follower. I want to encourage you, do that today and make God's power, God's strength, God's might. Make it real in your life. So that everyone around you can see how great God is. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much, God, just for the life of Paul. God, who I I know had to question, Lord, why that thorn in the flesh was there. Looking at how much he could have accomplished for you. God, I thank you for his example. Uh, God, that he learned to trust you. And he learned to follow you. And he learned to watch you do great things when he was weak. Father, for all of us in this room, God, I pray that you will show us the areas of our life, Lord, that we're not trusting in you. The, what, the areas we're trying to hide. The areas that we are, uh, Lord, not accomplishing what you want to do through us. Because we're afraid. Uh, because we're prideful. Lord, I ask that you will take today. Speak to each of our hearts and show us how we need to give more and more and more of our weaknesses to you, Lord, so that you can become strong and that your name will be made glorious around us. Father, thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.